Thank you for tuning into White Centipede Noise Podcast. Please hit the like button and subscribe to this channel. This podcast is made possible by viewer and listener support. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider supporting it at patreon.com slash white centipede noise. White Centipede Noise is a label and mail order based in Germany, releasing top quality noise on tape, CD, and vinyl. White Centipede Noise is also the premier EU-based distributor of international noise. Visit whitecentipedenoise.com to see available label releases and weekly distro updates. White Centipede Noise podcast. My name is Oscar Brummel, and today my guest is a titan of the Vancouver harsh noise scene. Please welcome Kate Rissick of Rasulka. Kate, did I pronounce your name right? Yes. Good job. Okay. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> uh, thanks. Um, yeah. Good morning. Thanks for uh, thanks for being with me. Of course. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I think right, right away, I'd like to jump into a bit of your history, um, as, uh, as an, as a, as a noise musician and as an artist, um, can you give me a little bit about the history, the background of, uh, Rusalka, when that started and what prompted you to start this project? Yeah. So I started in about 2006, 2007, and I jumped in pretty fast to performing live. There was a lot going on in Vancouver and right. in the surrounding areas. And uh, I wasn't so much into recording. I, I really did want to play live. So mm -hmm. once I started to do that and jump on shows, it kind of snowballed from there. And, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, so that was really the beginning motivation was just being able to play loud noise but so it was like the 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 overall scene and what was going on was kind of the what's what sparked that yeah i think so um there was a lot going on there's a lot going on and as i said in vancouver and and yeah. victoria and seattle and so it was uh, definitely yeah that was that was a motivation for sure. That was a huge, I mean, scene. I think that era of noise, but even like geographically from Canada, the west coast of Canada, that was a really big. You know, there were there were some really important projects that came out of there. I mean, uh, the one everyone knows about is, of course, Sam McKinley, the Rita. He's mm -hmm. kind of like the I don't know, the big dog, I suppose, but tons of other ones you know you yeah. taskmaster um uh sick buildings um etc cetera, etc cetera. what 
what was the in like how, how did that kind of whole vibe that whole scene influence you once you once you were active i mean what was that like being a part of that well not in terms of like your 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 beginning but like you know you were active and I, how was it feeding off or, or 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 interacting with these other artists in this this vibrant scene yeah it, it's it's it was great it's something you can only have perspective on now but once you're in it it's just kind of a big crazy storm and mm -hmm. and uh but yeah i mean there there was so much stuff going on you know so many different artists and everybody had a very unique perspective and approach to things so that's i think the thing that i liked the most was everybody was like so individual so you mm -hmm. could just come at it and do your own thing and uh and yeah so i was really lucky to just see so many different performers and and that really sparked you know an interest and and people were really you know one of the first shows i played was in victoria and uh ron who does the project griefer he was always mm -hmm. just uh trying to get new people to play so he was like if you got any hint that you did noise he was like okay you come come play the show and he still does cool. that to this day you know so cool. uh it, yeah i was really lucky to have those kind of opportunities and people around that were very uh you know they push you to do things and so everybody just kind of pushes each other yeah in that sense yeah were there a lot of artists from like the u.s the like also coming through vancouver at the time i think was it there was, much crossover yes and no because it was more so the other way i say i would say because mm. it was a little bit easier to go down there whereas uh you know the border between canada and the u.s is not so easy you know sometimes for people especially even for musicians if you can get right. denied and so and it's it's crazy but uh you know it happens and so yeah uh, i would say i was definitely going down to the states more i think than people are coming up but there okay. was a, there was back and forth yes i was and, under the impression that going from canada to the u.s <laughs> was much easier uh, no sorry it was much dif more difficult because like the u.s has mm -hmm. this really like um i guess protectionist attitude and i, I have always kind of heard that going from u.s to canada is pretty relaxed but i mean I've heard, I've heard like people getting locked out for example of of the u.s when once they catch the wind once they catch wind that you might be an artist who might be making you know any money whatsoever that um that yeah. it's, that it can be difficult but but you were able to come through fairly regularly without problems yeah, yeah. It was difficult. You know, you get your car searched, you go through the whole mm. thing and yeah, but you just learn to deal with it. And, you know, sure. luck, luckily I never got denied, but uh, yeah. definitely had some hassles. Yeah. 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 I remember there was that, um, I guess that, that famous, the Rita performance where he like, I think the skate performance, actually, there was the video, which which became the record, but he had like a, a hanging, a upside down american flag i think on the electronics table or something like that because i think it was right after getting denied i think that was okay. like a, I, maybe i'm totally wrong but i think that was like planned to be performed somewhere in the u.s okay the the skate ledge performance and then then they got kicked out and had to you know cancel and um yeah hung the american flag upside down or whatever but uh but yeah i guess well, 
the the problem is the ironic thing is when you try and do things above the board and say you have a letter of reference or you're being more official about it it can cause even more problems so sure and sure and then the other side of that is when you're trying to be more relaxed and you're like you know hey i'm not going to make any money like you it's difficult to express to them what you're doing because they think of musicians as oh you're gonna play a big rock show and you're gonna make a bunch of money but you're like look this is a hobby it's not (laughs) my living (laughs) yeah 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 Yeah, it's it's like that with a lot of things i think once you unfortunately once you try to like go legit and just explain your situation um you put yourself at much more risk of of being prohibited for you know not just performing but in just a lot of areas of 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 law and life i guess Um, as i've learned being in germany it's that's how it is over here it's like best to just not involve anyone once (laughs) once you try to like explain what you're doing and like make it legit whatever it's just um you're 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 on the then you're in the radar and you're on the in the crosshairs yeah. So unfortunately, it has to be like that. This episode of White Centipede Noise podcast is brought to you by Cruel Symphonies, intrepid noise from Syracuse, New York. Recent releases include cassettes by Ballerina and Blood, Parasite Nurse, Territorial Gobbing, Afternoon Tea Time, Klein Quartet, Maltreatment, Genophobia, GX Jupiter Larson, White Widow, Dagger, KPG, Za, and Cadaver. Cruel Symphonies thanks you for your support. It is due to the generosity of customers like you that we are able to fulfill our mission of printing J cards that make print shop employees uncomfortable. Um, so you you came from this really vibrant scene, and like you said, there was a, a wide variety of people doing different things. Um, mm. There was, in, I mean, the the artists that I really admire fr- and listened to and listened to today, like. Um, around that time when I, when I was getting into noise was really also like kind of when you guys were really, really active there. So I always saw Vancouver as like this kind of beacon for where some of my favorite products were coming from. And, you know, um, I did kind of like in my mind, at least see like a kind of a, a sound or a kind of like a, a, a an aesthetic, but you, like you said, with a lot of different approaches and you in particular have a very, very unique electronic sound you're i mean you're still working within this like you know massive cascading harsh structures that a lot of other artists are and were but your your sound is very very specific and i and i i guess i would wonder i i would kind of assume that has something to do with um some of the sources you use you're you use the theremin as one of your main sound sources and have for as long as i um, have been a, aware of your work. Um, can you tell me a bit about the theremin and how you arrived at the theremin as your as your sound source? And you know, is that is that your only sound source? Is that your? Um, yeah. So now it's it's mostly my main sound source. Yes, but mm-hmm. in the beginning, I was trying out different things, experimenting with you know everything as you do when mm-hmm. you're starting out with something. And in the beginning, so I started with mini theremins. I got a couple of them and and tried them out. And I would play with usually two. And I would have one Mm. pitched up, one pitched down. And I would switch between them. And then I sort of graduated later on to, you know, a Moog theremin, which uh, just sounds 
a lot nicer, warmer. Mm. And, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, it did take, take a while. I mean, it took years to kind of develop the specific sound that I wanted, of course, but, Mm -hmm. uh, I just love the theremin. It's, it's such a strange and unique instrument. And, you know, I, I play it in my way, of course, not, you know, any certain way but uh but i do like to say that's my sound source you know it's it's yeah. not if you have the uh, some idea of like wacky theremin sounds you know that's not my thing at all right so sure yeah but uh and also traveling Were you sorry go ahead oh i was just gonna say yeah traveling with the uh theremin was was always strange like flying i would have to have it in my checked bag because it's a pretty it can be a little bit delicate you know temperamental Mm -hmm. so you've had different ones and i think when i saw you in europe recently you had a fairly small one that looked like it was like came kind of apart like am i am i maybe i'm remembering that wrong but it looked like you had one that kind of screwed together but could be kind of broken down to a very small kind of compact thing that wouldn't necessarily look like a theremin like it is that is that mm. true yeah it is it is a moog it, it is definitely portable so you can take off the antenna and mm-hmm. you can have a base and set it up so yeah it does become much more compact which is a lot better yeah and it does have a sturdy housing too so yeah it's at least it's not you know totally you can you can bash it around a little bit, you know. Sure. What drew you to that instrument in the first place? So was it the way it's played or was it the sound? It was the sound for sure. I'm a big science fiction fan and uh-huh. older movie soundtracks with yeah. the eerie theremin that I was always yeah. drawn to that, you know, definitely from a young age. So it was more that the end I was just curious about it. So, yeah. Yeah. And are you, are you into Clara Rockmore? The Yeah, of course. Of course. Uh, yeah. I mean, virtuoso and, and it's amazing. Yeah. What, uh, some of the early, uh, virtuosos did with it. Just amazing music. Have you ever learned to play it that way or tried to play it that way in like a traditional no. way? No, no it must be I very mean, hard. Yeah, I'm sure it's 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 very delicate and and precise. Like it's like an well, it was initially created to be like an electronic violin. So yeah. that's what you know Leon Thurman had in mind when he made right. it. Um, but no, I I don't feel like I need to play it that way. Or there's so many people that play it very beautifully in that mm-hmm. way, and that's just not my thing. That's not. You yeah. know, I'm not interested in that. Was it hard to to dial it in and actually get like noisy, noisy sounds out of it? Because like you said, it's it's a it's an instrument. I've, I mean, I've messed around with a theremin before, uh, like, you know, doing this and, you know, it's a, it lends itself very quickly to like wacky sounds, which you've never, you know, I've never heard in any of your work is it's always mm-hmm. been this really dense, like atonal sound. Was that hard to get and hard to figure that out? Did it take you a while? Um, yeah, probably a little bit in the beginning, but again, it's a, 
approaching it as a sound source. And so I'm using all kinds of effects and I'm looping it. You know, I, I have like four loop looper pedals that I work with. And so, yeah, approaching it more as a sound source and, it did take a while to, to figure out how to get the kind of precise sounds that I wanted out of it. Yeah. Do you remember being in Minneapolis? I, you, you, you came through Minneapolis on tour, I think in 2007 with Taskmaster right. and um, Brutophilia, I think. Or, um, sorry. oh, yes. Yes. And Coastal. Exactly. Yeah. And Coastal. That's right. Yeah. 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 And you guys played at a, at a, at a show that I set up, uh, at a DIY space where there were zero people there. It was the first show I ever set up. Um, and, uh, yeah, you guys played for me basically. And like, that was really fun for me, but I felt bad. Um, but do you, do you remember what happened there with the, with the PA? Cause I remember, uh, the sound guy, like, you know, set it and forget it. He he set the the level and like went out for a smoke or something like that. Yeah, and I think he, he lit the speaker on fire. Yeah, he uh, went to the other room to make food while I was playing. <laughs> and yeah, the funny thing, I I do remember that uh, vividly because I was so focused on what I was doing, I didn't notice that the speakers were smoking. And yeah. so when I stopped playing, you know, I I looked up and I saw the room was filled with smoke and it took me a second. I was like, where, where's that smoke from? And then I was like, Oh shit, you could smell the burnt speaker. Yeah. And I kind of went, Oh shit. And then the sound guy comes over and he's just to me like, what the fuck? But he, you know, said right away, I went into the other room to make yeah. food. And so I was like, okay, well I, you know, what am I supposed to say? And so Eric yeah. uh, from Coastal, you know, he was apologizing, but I was not apologizing because right. I was like, well, yeah. I didn't really do anything wrong. But uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then he called me a bitch and, you know, it was lots yeah. of fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He got pretty aggressive about it. I mean, he, yeah, he was pretty upset. But again, it, yeah. he was, he was uh, deflecting. He's a sound guy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I remember getting heated, but I didn't know he was. I didn't know he he, he was that insulting. Um, but I remember, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, it happens. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't intentionally, and, you know, burn the speakers or anything. It just happened. Oh, of course, yeah. But is that something that's happened uh, on numerous occasions with a the theremin? Because I know that with some electronic sources, like you know, no input feedback, uh, for example, with like a. a from a, from a mixer that you can get some really, really low frequencies that aren't even audible, but that can just rip through, mm-hmm. you know, has, have you had that ex- experience more than once? Mm, no, I think that was probably the worst. I, I okay. try and be pretty careful about it Cause I really like high frequencies too. I like really yeah. low frequencies and really high frequencies. Yeah. And I, yeah, I know that can be pretty punishing, but, uh, yeah, yeah. You just have to try and keep it a little bit balanced with the levels. But again, just don't have the person doing sound, you know, leave while they're doing sound too. That's kind of key. Right. Of course. But you don't use any limiters or anything like that. I I think in some way, a lot of times uh, distortion pedal is oftentimes like the best 
speaker protector in some way because it's a natural compressor and limiter mm-hmm. you know if even if even if a theremin maybe has some can pump out like a 20 20 hertz frequency or lower usually a uh some other distortion pedal will kind of filter mm-hmm. that i guess but yeah. um yeah i don't know um so you toured a lot actually or a few times at least um did you tour Canada much or was it mostly uh, US? Yeah, it's mostly US. I'm I'm a trader for sure, but uh <laughs> it just it's just the way it happened, you know, and, and yeah. it was a lot easier to do more dates in the US. Driving across Canada, the cities are so far apart. Right. And, you know, it's it's a lot longer of a journey, so it just yeah. kind of happened that I played a lot more in the states. Yeah. yeah. You've also played in Europe a few times, right? Yeah. You've done two two kind of tours. You've done two tours over in Europe, right? Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah. What's the most intense thing that's ever happened to you on tour? Mm, that's a good question. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Touring is always kind of punishing, but yeah, yeah. the uh yeah, Europe was pretty grueling because uh uh there's so many just like buses and trains and you're just kind of constantly yeah. mo- moving and moving and yeah i definitely remember waking up and i didn't know what city i was in and that was kind of weird because wow. just you know just for a brief like couple of minutes i was like oh shit where am i like what city yeah. am I in? <laughs> yeah but uh that's also with punishing schedules too you know right you're trying to squeeze as much as you can out of it yeah I think in some ways Europe has a reputation for on the one hand being more in some ways welcoming for performing artists. Like they at least like there's more of an expectation I think in Europe that the, 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 the venue or the, the organizer, the promoter kind of at least get some food or something like that, or yeah, it's not always the case, but it seems like more of a, more of a, a norm that they'll take care of some, basic things like when you show up at the venue there's some food we're in the united states if you're on a low you know depending on what kind of tour you're on um that's not happening you're on your own that's not happening but at the same time europe is very small in some way it's very it's very condensed and and crowded Mm. so I, i i've never toured like that but i feel like that would be stressful because you don't really have as much room to just you know you're probably not going with like your own car you're probably going by by bus yeah. and things like that and you don't have the room to just kind of like relax you know people don't really have like big basements to like that's true. crash out in. it's usually like yeah. a small, small kind of apartment corner here. yeah it's a different <laughs> yeah. it's a different kind of body feel i think i don't know um yeah that's int- well in the states is so huge yeah so you have yeah. those road trips in the car are totally different than you yeah. know, being on a train and yeah, in Europe and being cramped. Yeah. Europe is crowded. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm not a big fan of crowds too. So it's, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a little bit overstimulating, you know? Yeah. But, uh, but it's interesting. It's different, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. So intense, 
intense things that have happened. I'll, I'll, I'll spare you on that one. I'm sure you've, you've had plenty. Uh, yeah. It's more, I mean, more bleak moments. Luckily I can't think of anything totally horrifying. You know, it, it's more just kind of depressed, yeah. depressing, bleak parts. Yeah. Touring? Yeah, I would say so. Especially in the States. Sometimes you just have those moments where you're like, why, why am I doing this? Like, why am I doing this to myself? But you know, is that the predominant feeling that you get when touring or, or is it, or is it mm, more, I more think those, the fun and joy? Those are just brief moments, you know? Yeah. yeah. When it gets a little too bleak, you're yeah. just kind of like, man, I could just be at home and you know, my warm <laughs> bed. What am I doing? But yeah, that's the, yeah. the gamble of it and the fun, I guess, too. Right. This episode of White Centipede Noise podcast is brought to you by Flag Day Recordings. Established in 2017, Flag Day Recordings is a tape and CD label based out of Pennsylvania, focused on promoting harsh noise, avant-garde, musique concrète, electroacoustic, and ambient styles. Recent CDs include Mariam Sirvan, Peter J. Woods, and Tourette. Flagdayrecordings.bigcartel.com. What about some standout um, shows that you've seen while traveling? Um, yeah, that's a good question. Well, I mean, I do kind of like festivals, I would say, are great mm-hmm. just because you have, you know, so many different people from all over. So. You know, even like, even here at home for me in Vancouver, like the Vancouver Noise Festival has always been great. Victorian Noise Festival. Um, It's a little bit different on the road, but uh, I would say in Europe, I don't know. There's there's so many like different interesting venues, you know, like in, in... Prague, there's, you know, you play on a ship and that's attached to the harbor. I'm totally forgetting the name of that venue at the moment. I'm not sure. Yeah, it's this old um, ship and it's attached to the harbor. And so you're playing in like the hull of the of the ship. Um, a lot of reverberation. And it's yeah. and that was in winter, too, when we uh, played there and it was really cold and it was uh it was heated by this wood stove. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't know. You just, you get to see like just weird places in, in Italy. We played at this venue that's in the mountains and it was just the most spectacular view. And it was so, um, remote too. And Mm -hmm. so I was thinking like, who's going to come to this show, you know? Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, it was like a good sized crowd showed up like 40 people or something to this art gallery in the mountains. So it was so, so bizarre. Like I, I don't even know what their journeys there would be like. It was definitely, you know, wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, Just crazy. There are those, there are those sorts of places in Europe. There are also a lot of like kind of cultural centers. It's a weird thing. It's either, like really wild DIY spaces or mm. kind of like bland, like government supported right. places, I guess, or, you know, some sort of more official institutions. Yeah. Yeah. There is a strange mix. 
there's not I, as much of those just DIY spots like someone's someone's warehouse or someone's um, basement. Of course, you know it's just it's a different. You don't yeah. have that as much like you do in the U.S. Right, but those those are much harder to keep going. You know the underground yeah. independent spaces. I mean, it's yeah, it's really hard. And I think they're disappearing. I mean, before I moved away, like seven, eight years ago, they were already pretty much extinct. Yeah, at least in Minneapolis, and I think that's kind of the 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 general trend everywhere. And I'm sure by now, you know. Eight years later, it's really not like it was maybe 15 years ago at all. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's pretty sad how downhill it's gone. Well, of course, with the pandemic, that's, that's a whole other stress on it. But before, I mean, spaces were just struggling to, you know, I was, I was in a rehearsal space that was a warehouse that used to do shows years ago. And I mean, it was around for, I have 15 years for a long time. And yeah. of course that's just shut down now. Um, yeah. Because of development, you know, in the area. Yeah. So, exactly. but yeah, it's just so Vancouver it's, is the same, the same way. Are there, are there still spaces in Vancouver? There are, but they're very much just holding on. I mean, yeah. they keep disappearing by the day, you know, and, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's really hard. You just don't, there's just no support, you know, for yeah. those kind of venues. Yeah, it's sad. I, well, and I wonder what the new, I mean, I, I I do think that there's a, with every end of a, an era, there's something that reemerges, a, a new solution to things. I'm curious what the new, what the new answer will be to yeah. lack of, lack of uh, DIY spaces and how people will will adapt to that or what will happen i'm not I'm, i don't know um this episode of white centipede noise podcast is brought to you by scream and ride distro and absurd exposition label canadian-based source for experimental electronics harsh noise etc over 1500 items in stock on all formats media mail shipping to the usa and affordable international shipping coming early 2022 hermit chick white split tape two distinct vocal noise approaches from opposite coasts of canada Neural Objective Constraint Tape Unreleased Material from 1996 Mott and Violent Shogun Mangle Tape Split and Collaborative Tape Works Andrew Nolan and Misery Engine Split Tape Cosmic Industrial Dusty Noise Malaise The Rita Herschel The Shoot Tape Sputtering Crunch of Obsessive Minimalism Alex York Double Tape Tape and Synth Works for Melancholy Mood Visit ScreamAndRide.com and AbsurdExposition.BandCamp.com uh, you, you told me in the beginning you were primarily interested in performing live and not so much in recording. Um, has that changed? Has, has more of a focus shifted to, to recording in your, yeah, yeah, in that, yeah, definitely that, that was a slow process, but I did over the years get more into recording and get kind of more involved and you know instead of just doing kind of one take for you know an album yeah Mm -hmm. i do i do get a lot more involved but it it took a while yeah sure tell me about revisualizations that tape for Mm -hmm. uh new forces because i've been listening to your recordings for a long time and i have many of them uh from the earlier days and I've always thought they were great, but that was a recording when I heard it, uh, 
I mean, maybe it was part of, partly because I, I, I kind of took a break buying stuff. And when I moved to Germany, I bought it. And it came out kind of like shortly after I moved into Germany. And I got it and I was totally blown away by it. And it was a totally new kind of approach and new intensity mm. um, that I hadn't heard in, in earlier recordings. And maybe maybe there were some around the air that came before then that also were of the same ilk, I suppose, that, I, that maybe I didn't check. But um, this to me was like a huge break. Uh, can you tell me about the, about, about the recording a bit? And if that has the same uh, importance for you than it does to me? Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's uh, interesting. Yeah, I think that was just one of those steps in getting more involved and doing longer recordings and yeah. trying out... It's very long. Yeah, trying out different kind of sound sources and I it's difficult I, I to remember exactly what I used on it even because it, it is a while ago but uh, yeah I think it was just using a tape echo and just trying out different things really and, yeah. and and you know leaving things set up at home and and working on it and you know coming back to it a couple of days later just taking more yeah. time you know to me, it wasn't even necessarily the sound sources. I mean, the 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 the, the clarity and the and the power the power of the sounds was one thing, but also the way it was kind of composed or the way it was structured was really, mm. you know, it it had a, a lot of moments where it builds and builds and builds and then like drops off mm. to like a really quiet part and like loops just a totally, I don't know, with also very minimal minimal sounds and minimal means but are really really involved like long compositions and mm. really yeah just simply kick ass i was i was really into that and i mean everything i've heard since then also has been of that same caliber and kind of in that same in that same world sonically okay yeah, yeah i think that's just that's just building on and getting a little bit more into editing and, you know, just working sure. a little bit more with that you know, yeah. than before. Do you work like, do you, do you, do you multi-track in a computer? No, I, I'm not, I, I do still keep recordings pretty minimal. Like I mm -hmm. do like to, well, before I'd be, I would do recordings more of what my live work was and, and just kind of working off of that. But now it's like with recordings, it's, I don't, I don't think about it as, okay, I need to be able to perform this piece. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's completely that album and that's it. And so mm -hmm. I don't need to have to reproduce those sounds. So yeah, it's, uh, was that something that kind of maybe limited you when you recorded earlier that because i actually now you say that it's kind of how i've worked i've thought sometimes in the past like oh i can't do this on a recording because it couldn't be done in a live situation has that been ever kind of your the way you think about it yeah like kind of yeah. Limiting, limiting myself based on what i you know think is appropriate and what or what could be reproduced live Right. Yeah. Yeah. I just kind of threw that out and, and yeah. was like, okay, this is just the sounds on the album and that's it. And, and yeah. they're different things for sure. Yeah. I mean, they're different things no matter what, but, uh, sure. 
with your LP base waters, uh, the theme of water is present there and it's present in a lot of your other works, I think. It's referenced um, also in your performances that I've seen, the ones that I've seen recently, you use you know, really great backing images of minimal images of water. Um, I, I get the sense that this is a important image for you. Um, can you tell me a little bit about what that symbol means to your work, if that's possible? Yeah, sure. It, well, it tied into Risalka in the beginning. It's this uh, water spirit. Mm. And yeah. uh, of course, I live on the West Coast by the ocean. And I work at, well, working with video of water, it's, it's hypnotic. It's like watching a fire, you know, and, and it's a pattern that's constantly changing. It's just, and yeah, water is a, it's a powerful thing. It's, it's life and it's, it gives life and it takes life and it's really mm -hmm. part of everything. So it's symbolic, but it's also just visually very interesting too. And you can, yeah. you can uh, just, as I said, it's hypnotic and, and so you can kind of sink into it. Your LP uses also water sounds. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's a sound source that you also then manipulate or if it's just, um, you know, yeah. intro and outro I, kind of thing. I believe I used both so mm -hmm. again i'm trying to think but uh yeah i i use the sound sources and manipulate them but then also some raw samples and mm -hmm. uh you know i've got more into i've got a hydrophone so i got more into you know underwater recordings and things like that too what's that what's a hydrophone uh it can be submerged into water whereas, like a microphone yeah but uh but uh yeah, you can put it in water, cool. submerged, so you can get underwater recordings. Um, and have you used that for? Yeah, on more more recent stuff has used uh, more of those recordings. Yeah, yeah. Cool, awesome. When you work with the video, do you ever coordinate yourself with it, or do you just have it play in the background, like? Um, yeah, I, I do use, I did use it as about the length of what I wanted to play. So mm -hmm. I would have it in mind with like the live piece that I was going to be doing. And then I would also use some specific videos to give myself cues. So when I'm kind of mm -hmm. towards the end, I would have a certain color come up. And then I would yeah. know, okay, I have this many minutes left before yeah. the, en the end of the video, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I asked because when I saw you play, there was for maybe 10 minutes or so, this really static image of the water as you were building and building and building. And then one moment came where you swiped your hand and made a huge change in the theremin and, and the sound shifted in some way. And in this exact moment, uh, the screen went red right. and I just kind of assumed that you had somehow, I, th I thought you had triggered the video somehow, maybe with your electronics or something like that. Right. Um, yeah. But, it's not that advanced, but, but okay. yeah. 
you were but you're working with you you're aware of what's on the video and like how yeah yeah i was uh it it would become kind of a complete package so i'd be working with the video and the sound and and have it in mind of yeah when when certain but you can only be like so much aware of it so of course every every show it would kind of change and and you know evolve noise artists from vancouver that like spaz out when they play <laughs> you mean very very physical yeah like, yeah because i you're very very stoic when you perform as yeah. is you know as is uh taskmaster as is sam mckinley i mean all of the mm-hmm. vancouver artists that i have seen live play this really intense monolithic sound and they're all but they're all very like studied and and stoic in their in their physical body language mm-hmm. i've never seen anyone rocking out i'm just curious if oh there are yeah there's yeah? there's okay. for sure people who uh yeah maybe not as many in in vancouver probably more victoria they, they're okay. a little bit crazier there <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that's probably just a few people. I don't know. Do you see noise as a study? Do you do you, do you listen deeply? Do you do you, do you, I don't know what my question is exactly, but when you're working with sound, are you are you trying to give something out, or are you like sinking into the sound? I don't I don't I don't know. If that makes sense mm-hmm. as a question. Uh. I uh, sinking in for sure. It's, it's, yeah, it's such a focus for me and it's like a little sanctuary. And at mm. some point I think it, 
becomes a almost out of body experience mm-hmm. and uh you just forget yourself and yeah can become completely dissolved in the sound mm. is it ever anything that's unpleasant to you or is it like a very or is it a comforting kind of feeling Mm, I think it's, it could be both. Yeah, it's difficult. I wouldn't say that it comes from a joyous place. It's, it's Mm -hmm. more, it's many things, you know, it's not, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I don't know. It can be a release, but it can also be, yeah, it could be difficult. It could be painful too. So it's not mm-hmm. always a, it's not really a happy thing, but it's not a negative mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. Is there anything in your daily life that inspires you to make noise? Hmm. Um, well, I guess everything, I mean, but yeah, in the beginning I would say it was more, uh, needing to do it to get, you know, ag- aggression and to get all the, the, uh, destructive kind of behavior in a more creative place. Um, but I think it's become something a lot more, you know, a lot more balanced now. Mm-hmm. I asked about water, um, as one symbol that I've noticed in your work. Are there any other themes or symbols that you kind of follow uh over a time period with the project that it's you know next um i mean i've I've noticed maybe specific releases have references to certain things but is are there any other overarching themes that you work with or explore I think it always changes. It it is always changing. Yeah. From Mm -hmm. record to record, even from show to show, it's always something different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and especially over the years, I mean, things that I was influenced by or, or themes I was using even five years ago, it's completely different, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's, it's always evolving and changing. It seemed like there was a period, it seems like you're really active in the past several years, but there was a period where you weren't very active. I don't have this kind of timeline in front of me, but there was this kind of, I guess, heyday 2000, maybe from your start to the early 2010s, and then kind of some years where mm. you had a release maybe every couple of years, and, and now you're, you've had a lot of releases, in the not a lot, but you've had pretty active amount of releases in the past few years. Was there a reason for that slowdown or that, or that lull specifically? Mm, Yeah, I think it just happens. I, I don't like to force things and, and, Mm -hmm. you know, life gets in the way too. And, and yeah, yeah, you just, uh, I take my time with things too. I, I, yeah, I can't just pump albums out. I'm not like that. So it, it just takes the time. Sometimes it's active and you get inspiration or energy and sometimes there's a lull and, and I also just don't beat myself up over that kind of thing anymore. You yeah. know, if, cause you, you can put unnecessary pressure on yourself of oh I need to be doing this, but yeah, I don't do right. that anymore. It has to be natural yeah. and flow. 
This episode of White Centipede Noise Podcast is brought to you by Ominous Recordings, based in Sweden, a harsh noise peddling underdog label since 2005. Available on CD is the complete discography of Knives, a 2005 harsh noise collab between the Cherry Point and Pedestrian Deposits' John Borges. The threesome slitting 7-inch with the 2020 New York City gig. Also, a reissue of one of the best harsh noise albums ever, Black Leather Jesus' Ante, as well as Golden Serenade's Fit, and three of the reader reissues, co-released with Phage Tapes, tapes by Foul, Schizophrenic Genius, and Split Tape between JSH and Compripritor. Visit www.ominousrecordings.com to get your fix. What about your visual artworks? Is that something you've been doing consistently since the beginning of the project? Yeah, but again, I think that's kind of the same thing, is that, yeah, it's up and down. It's when you have time and... There's there yeah. is lulls, but yeah. But I mean, okay. But aside from lulls or, or activity, but can you just tell me in general about your visual artworks, the the collage works you do, and 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 kind of your approach there? Yeah, sure. I, I mean, I've been doing that for a long time before noise. I was doing mm-hmm. you know visual art and collage. Yeah, so that's been just a long, long-standing passion. You know. And, uh, and noise to me is, is collage as well. So it just mm-hmm. kind of plays together very well. Yeah. But the, uh, the video was something that developed, you know, later, later on, especially with my sound, uh, mm-hmm. it, it's a more kind of recent thing that I've been doing, uh, but it's the same sort of principles, just kind of taking collage and applying it to to video. You've got this book, which just came out recently. Analog Paper Dreams, Selected Collage Works. Um, can you tell me about what's in this book and how that collection came about? Yeah, I wanted to document all of my physical collage pieces well not even all of them it's it's a good majority of my physical collages and Mm -hmm. so I took the time to photograph everything and uh you know I just wanted to put it together in a book to have it to have it all um but yeah it's I just wanted to share it with people because they're you know, pieces that aren't for sale and, you know, so I thought book form would be, would be the best way to kind of be able to share that. You have them in your possession that you plan on holding on to. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think so. Yes. My, my apartment's filled with it, but, uh, yeah, it's just difficult to, especially, you know, bigger mannequin pieces. I just can't really, I can't really part with them. Sure. Yeah. But I think that was also a little bit due to having downtime with the pandemic. You know, I don't, Mm -hmm. I don't know if, if I was busy, you know, doing shows and stuff, if I would have taken the time out to do it. So yeah, it's kind of a weird positive of, you know. Sure. Of if downtime. Yeah, I think there were. I mean, I think it's safe to say there were plenty of weird positives of the downtime. Not that there weren't negatives as well, but I mean, I think that was one thing that people had a chance to kind of 
work on projects that maybe had been sitting for a long time unjustly because of all the other stuff we have to do. Yeah. Yeah. Did you, did you publish, did you release this book yourself? Yeah, I did. Yeah. It, uh, it was quite a task, quite an undertaking, but I'm glad, no. I'm glad that I did it. Um, it kind of came in part by being involved with, uh, you know, the death squad book and, uh, yeah, that came out that's right. and which was very different, but I kind of thought, Hmm, you know, I went with the same local publisher and, cool. uh, yeah. So it was just, I was totally blown away by that book and I thought, yeah, yeah absolutely. Can, can you tell us about what your role in that book was exactly? Um, I, I just helped with the editing. I co-edited with, uh, Jason Campbell, the book, mm -hmm. there was just so much material. So it was really, you know, the two of us helping Michael to, to come over it and put it together. How was that working with something so intimate and extreme, you know, for, for Michael, his work? Um, how was that working on his project in maybe a somewhat an objective way with someone that you're also very close to? Yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was strange, but, uh, you just kind of have to step back and, and think of it as the reader and that's how you're kind of looking at it and, and. Uh, I just kind of helped in whatever ways that I could, you know, yeah. so if, if he wanted to bounce something off or, or, you know, just have very technical editing done, you know, mm -hmm. whatever, I was just happy to do that because it was, you know, it was such a amazing kind of document and, uh, definitely. Yeah. But I mean, it's, it's all, it's all Michael really. It's just, you know, it's his voice and everything. Sure. Sure. But I mean, it's, you know, working with a partner can be, can go a lot of ways. I'm, I'm curious about mm -hmm. it because I work with Basha on a lot of things and right. it's, it's great. It's intense, um, but it really is wonderful. But I know for some people it could be very <sighs> difficult. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not easy for sure. And but I think Michael and I are both pretty good about we're very separate in our how we do things creatively and and we try not influence each other. We just like let the other person do what they're going to do, you know, yeah, and we're yeah. lucky in that I think it's just a natural balance and that we both kind of you know can stay objective and yeah yeah but but yeah it's it's not easy for sure do you think his work as mk9 or, or do you think your relationship with him has uh had an influence on your work as Rosalka? yeah I, well i think that's uh inevitable it's kind of unavoidable but uh sure. but again what we, i mean we've been doing our own projects for so long and they're very separate. Yeah. So yeah. it's, uh, I mean the, well, the biggest influence I would say was, would be video because I really did start doing video because we toured together. 
And mm-hmm. I knew that video is such a big part of his performances. And I thought, well, you know, he's going to have his own projector and, and he takes his own projector to each show. So I right. thought, okay, well, that's an opportunity to, to be able to do video. So, yeah, yeah. that's kind of the, one of the main things. Mm-hmm. I hope you don't mind me asking, but, um, you know, you were also with uh, Nick Wainwright of Taskmaster you guys were together for 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 quite a few years, and when I met you guys, and when I became aware of your work, you were both active, and and I know you guys were, you know, together. Um, can you tell me a little bit about Nick's relevance to you as an artist? Yeah, I mean, we were touring a lot, and uh, and uh, doing a lot of shows. Yeah, in the early days, that was. Uh, you know, very much a motivation as well is that, you know, we each had our projects and, uh, and, uh, yeah, uh, touring especially, I think would be the, the kind of key thing is that, you know, mm-hmm. we both kind of pushed each other to get out there a lot more and, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, definitely drove our, our projects, but again, you know, being very separate artists and, you know, right. doing our own Definitely. thing at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. I guess one question I have that is maybe a bit annoying, but I think it's unfortunately unavoidable. Um, noise being like an overwhelmingly male dominated genre of music, you know, 99.9 maybe percent of noise artists. <laughs> being male um what factor in in general has this played on your journey as an artist in terms of your interaction with the outside world or you know if 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 any i mean i don't i don't want to dig more than you want to talk about it but i mean has that what what role has that played for you yeah um yeah it's difficult to describe i mean early on when i started Rusalka, it was part of the project was really about the you know pains of womanhood and and that was very Mm -hmm. much either consciously or subconsciously in the project so it had a big impact but then at the same time you know noise was just about getting away from everything and you know Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's changed over the years or there's a lot of, you know, a lot of different people doing noise and right. I, I don't know. There's not really an easy answer to it. It's, you know, I wish we didn't have to talk about it. Right. I mean, I'm sure you, you didn't, you didn't even want to ask the question. Right. So, no, I mean, it's I didn't want to ask the question, but I also felt, yeah. It's also not maybe not appropriate to avoid it because maybe it. I, I mean, I guess I didn't really know what your feeling about it is. If it's something that you feel is a like um, an element that you want to have more attention brought to or discussed more, or, or or rather the opposite. Like, do you ever feel expected to make it a, a like a like an a topic in your work or, or speak out on it or, mm. or anything like that? 
Yeah, it's well, noise is kind of my sanctuary away from everything. But yeah, yeah it's, it's, you know, uh, I don't know. I, I do. I do want to get away from it because, yeah. you know, that's not what it's about for me. And and I you know, noise is very much getting, getting away from ego and my identity. So yeah, it's, and you can't, you know, what am I supposed to do? But I'm out here doing noise and that's really all that I want to do. I don't care if there's, you know, a boys club or anything that's, it's so, yeah. you know, these, I, I can't really do much about it. <laughs> yeah. Is it something that you feel is changing or you feel like, um, has has any change in the recent years? I hope it's changed. I think it's changed. You yeah. know. Yeah, I hope so. I can I can see that it's changed a bit more, but you know, it's kind of sad because some things just stay the same. So right. yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Do you feel that your that your femininity has a fundamental approach to your or a fundamental influence on your approach to sound? Like, do you, do you think that that is a, something that is reflected in, in your, in your music, not necessarily the, the themes, but in, in the way you craft yeah, sound? I think so. I think, I think more so in the, in the beginning. Yeah. But it, it definitely changed. It definitely changed over time. Um, mm -hmm. I think it, it comes back to subconscious things too is, you know, we're again, working out the kind of pains and that's unfortunately one of the big pains, you know, about being a woman and, 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 and also just in general, yeah. Working out the frustrations and mm -hmm. the anger about things. Yeah. yeah. You've dropped some really, great and heavy releases recently, particularly, I mean, you made an LP, which was a really standout record of the past several years in noise. I feel, um, what do you got going on right now? And what's, what are we, what are we going to hear next from you? I will have a record coming out on the label virtues, which is, uh, oh. yeah. That'll be yeah. the next release coming out. Yeah. Um, and I saw something like a blurb somewhere. It, I believe it said you, you, it was listed under your, your, your name, Kate Rissick. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm going to be releasing from now on just under my name. Uh, really? Instead of Rasalka. Yeah. It's just, I have done a few things just under my name and uh i've used the name rosalka for a long time and mm -hmm. i just feel there's no conceptual shift or any difference in the material because rosalka has always been me so mm -hmm. it's just going to be under my name from now on cool yeah and will that be a uh what format will that be on that'll be an, an lp Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, yeah, I'll have some other things. I'm thinking about doing some self releases. So there might be something in that nature coming up soon. Do you have a label or have you ever had 
a label like proper you know no i yeah i i i'm looking to get a little bit more into that but uh yeah i have not had a label before before yeah. Is it the idea that you could be involved in the, I mean, visual aspect of it? Because from memory, actually, I know that you've done covers for a number of other artists. Um, do you also do your collage work and, and covers for your own releases as frequently? Yeah, yeah, I do. I do really like to be as involved as I can with the, uh, yeah. yeah, the visual aspect. Um, yeah. and more so recently too, like in the, in the beginning, I might, you know, have let other people do artwork, but sure. now I'm, I'm definitely a control freak. And I, yeah, I think yeah. that's, that's something that happens in the beginning is, yeah, you let people run with it. And it's good to, <laughs> right. when, when, when you get at the spot where you're like, okay, I'm going to make sure I, I mean, I, th I think just in general, it's, it's, it's great to see work from an artist where the visual art always also represents their vision, even if they didn't do it themselves. But I, I've less and less, I've grown away from this idea of like the label aesthetic. Um, because to me, that's not really, I, I would rather the, the release be treated like, you know, individually for the artist rather than part of a batch or something like that, where everything kind of looks, like the label and then everyone, you know, I feel like that does a, that's only half of the artist in some ways. So I think that's, mm -hmm. that's an important thing to take over at some point as an artist. I mean, I guess some people are happy just to like, you know, have the music come out and they're not too concerned, but that's, I think that's a, that's a pretty key thing. I think. Yeah. I can understand either way. It's, it's so individual, you know, yeah. so, I mean, yeah, just for me, I just, I like, the the package i like to for sure yeah, be more involved now yeah now available from white centipede noise altar of flies otter blick triple lp there has always been chafing and harsh elements in altar of flies but never before has he put that particular ingredient in focus like this electronics burnt to crisp crackling meat slab fizz and reckless physical wreckage all this paired with his signature vintage apparatus and magnetic tape wizardry and the result is an elegantly churned up pigsty that is an excerpt from the extensive liner notes written by Eric Neustrand. Available at whitesemi-noise.com, Bandcamp, and soon, a distro near you. Can you tell me your top five noise releases of all time? <laughs> are, those, yeah. are those audio cassettes behind you? I, I can't tell if the... Yeah. the I can't tell if the... Ca the your camera's a bit, like, like fisheye, I think, yeah, so I, no. I couldn't tell if they're... Like VHS, because they look, they look kind of big, but, I, but they're cassettes. And are those... Are. Those are... So, okay. Yeah, okay. yeah, they cool. are, they are tapes. Uh, yeah. That's a good question. I mean, well, if we're talking noise, noise, I'd say you know probably CCC, Phantasmagoria, or mm -hmm. anything by them really, um, mm -hmm. and Control Bleeding, Knees and Bones. Mm -hmm. Um. Hmm. I this is more experimental, but Soviet France's Monomishi is an mm -hmm. album that I love. Cool. Yeah. yeah. I don't. I mean, there's no need to 
like not include things because they're not yeah. pure noise. And I think just in general, anything anything kind of in the noise experimental industrial realm. Mm-hmm. So Soviet France, which which album did um, you say? Monomishi is mm-hmm. yeah. I just I love that album and. Uh, uh, well, I'd have to put pedestrian deposit in there, probably mm-hmm. volatile, mm-hmm. like that album a lot. And uh, what are we at now? That's four. Uh, and Angelis, uh, Eurogene. That's a great. I don't know what that. I don't know what yeah. that is. Uh, Angelis is a French French. Oh, and 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 Angelis. Okay, I, I was I was I was thinking. <laughs> And I, I, okay, I read that as Angelis, but that's wrong. Um, but oh. okay, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I understand. I'm sorry, I misunderstood. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah but there's, uh, I connected a little bit more with industrial albums early on, so you mm-hmm. know, it's more things like Coil, you know, music to mm-hmm. play in the dark too, and uh, mm-hmm. I mean, even like House or Offna. You know, mm-hmm. things like that were, uh, yeah, I, I really liked those albums uh, early on. And sure. They're, they're yeah. still kind of my top albums, too. Yeah. Was that like before you started Rasulka or was that kind of around the same time you were starting Rasulka? Yeah, a little bit before Rasulka was, you know, getting into that's getting into Coil and, yeah. you know, Einstein's Neubau and things like that. Yeah that kind of take you down the rabbit hole, you know, for sure. Um, I didn't ask you originally, but did you have any musical, uh, projects or bands, uh, before Rusalka noise or otherwise? Uh, no, I, I played around with sound and I wasn't quite sure, you know, I knew that I wanted to, to do electronic sound i just didn't really know in what form so it took me mm-hmm. a little bit of playing around with things to figure out what exactly you know i wanted to do sure yeah now my next question is um can you give me five noise releases of the past year or so that you've been into really impressed by interested in favorites um hmm. I mean, I don't know about specific releases, but I would say... You can be artists. Too. Yeah, I would or, say things like, you know, I'm really impressed with Himacult. That's, you mm-hmm. know, such a great project. It's yeah. really cool to see, you know, more projects like that. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Mass Marriage has been doing some great uh, releases yeah, lately. Like really honing, honing, you know, her sound. and For sure. And... Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd say those are my top mentions, but uh, okay. yeah. Cool. I, new Mass Mares album is excellent on yeah. New Forces. That's yeah. a high recommendation. For sure. For sure. All right. Well, Kate, um, is there anything else you'd like to add? Is there anything else you'd like to make note of that um, I missed or got wrong or anything you'd like to <laughs> to tell your fans out there, people listening. Uh, I think that's it. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I'm excited about uh, the release on the Virtues label. So that's yeah. the next thing. 
Do you know when roughly that's going to? Um, we'll see. It'll, you know, hopefully be early this year. So it's yeah. like submitted and at the plant and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. There's some slowdowns because sure. of supply issues, but yeah. 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 Cool. Yeah. That's exciting, actually. That's super exciting. I didn't, I, I, I forgot about that. Actually, I saw that. Like maybe, you know, you scroll on the internet half asleep sometimes, and you know, I, I saw that upcoming on Virtues, Alex Kmet's label, and I, I saw your name, and I thought, what? like, I was blown away. And an LP, yeah, and an LP, and it was. I mean, that's very exciting to know that it's, um, that it's, that it's happening, and uh, that it's, you know, a continuation of of your work that I'm such a big fan of cool yeah thank you thank you very much cool well thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me and and everyone out there and um we'll keep in touch and talk to you later awesome take care thanks bye bye Thanks again for tuning into White Sampy Noise Podcast. Head over to the Patreon for more, including private episodes of Noise on the Run, exclusive photos, video, and audio related to the show, and discounts at the White Sampy Noise mail order. Your support is extremely appreciated and vital to keep the show going.